0: What do you guys think in every tenure of a google employee is do you have any idea i'm gonna say six months
1: i'll say 10 months
0: wow okay you guys really just poo-pooed on, on my reveal there <laughs> 1.1 years for a google employee which is is historically like a lot of those fan companies those are where you want to be so for, for people who reach that kind of that the pinnacle of, of what software development is 1.1 years is not a long time
2: Acusoft is a software development company specializing in document processing, conversion, and automation solutions. From out-of-the-box and configurable applications to APIs and SDKs, Acusoft helps developers solve their document workflow challenges while saving hours of development time. Learn more at acusoft.com. Hello everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am your host, Ben Popper, the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, and I am joined today, as I often am, by my wonderful co-hosts, Matt and Ciora. Ciora, how are you doing today?
1: I'm okay. How are you?
2: I'm pretty good. We're having webcam issues, but honestly, who doesn't? <laughs> Matt, you are in the process of selling all your stuff so you can move from New Zealand to Canada and be closer to all of us at Stack Overflow. Hooray.
0: Hooray. Y'all, if you're
2: listening and you need a desk in the New Zealand area, that's quite a large area. Check out Matt's stuff. What are you selling your stuff on?
0: Trade me and Marketplace. Although then that's definitely giving away my my super secret identity. So maybe just trade me. Just check out Trade Me, search for a computer and a Sabaru legacy. All
2: right, y'all. We got some interesting news this week that I wanted to get to. First of all, something near and dear to all of our hearts, Instagram has relaunched with the chronological timeline. This is one of those things that to me, it's like a superpower that software developers have, or maybe more like UX engineers, but it's like the amount of change, the amount of energy, the amount of emotion that will flow out from this decision is so enormous, like the ripple effect on the world. And they're like, you know... We need to bring back the cron view. <laughs> it's just like no one team should have all that power. But do, do the two of you enjoy or not enjoy chronological? I personally am old school. When I joined Facebook, there was no news feed, and I have always loved cron view. I'm big into cron. I, I look at Instagram on the desktop, so let's just leave it there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know that Twitter has a similar thing where for a while the default was that, especially now, if you sign for a Twitter account now. The default is going to be non-chronological. So like whatever is the most relevant, I guess you could say. It's
2: like a mix. Yeah. Trending, algorithmic for you, bunch of that stuff.
1: They include topics now as well, like topics that you may be interested in will just pop up on your timeline. I find that to be a little annoying, especially probably for people who are interested to like use Instagram to keep up with family members and stuff like that. You want to see things as they happen instead of instead of letting an algorithm decide what's relevant for you. So I prefer chronological order, but, you know, everyone's different.
0: I'm a fan of the chronological view. And I I kind of like how Instagram have done it in this case. So they've basically given you, I think, two or three types of timelines. You've got the hero timeline, which is the one using the algorithm. Then you've got another timeline, which is kind of like your customized one. So you can add in accounts that you follow and you want to see as part of that chronological flow. It's not set as the default,
1: okay.
0: which I found interesting. And the uh, it came from like a legislative perspective where they were worried about algorithms reinforcing echo chambers and filter bubbles, you know, reinforcing certain worldviews and all this kind of stuff. So like, I thought this was just a kind of like, you know what, like, it's been a tough year. We'll just, we'll give the users something they want, which is a chronological feed. Totally. It turns out it's a little bit deeper than this.
1: I haven't heard too many complaints about TikTok though, but I do wonder if it still creates that echo chamber just because i've heard a lot of people say that the their tiktok feed their for you page is like so tailored to them sometimes it's like reaches the exact target audience and not anyone outside of that which can be a good and bad thing at the same time so i do wonder if they'll ever factor that into how they structure the app there too
2: i mean china is a unique sort of like bubble into itself in the way that the citizens consume technology and sort of like the relationship between the government and the technology companies but it's really interesting like. I also think of TikTok as the least toxic. I know it can be, you know, dangerous for some people. I'm not saying it's not. But for me, in my experience, it's always like funny songs, dance moves, goofs, memes. It's more like Vine, like we discussed. Like, I'm sure you could go down a dark rabbit hole, but that's not what it is for me. But, you know, in China now, they have laws and regulations that are attempting to limit the amount of time that kids and others play video games or use social media. So, like, they take it (laughs) to the, like, it's like the government is doing the parent's you know, job of like one hour a night on Friday. That's it. You know, like TikTok probably has more oversight like from a, a at that level. And so there, maybe
0: they build with that in mind. It's really bizarre that TikTok, because I, I agree. I think TikTok as far as like an entertainment application is head and shoulders above what Instagram offers. Like you can, you can pop on there much like YouTube and you're just consuming for like it, half an hour will fly by so quick with TikTok. And I find it interesting that the, it's, it's a Chinese company that have created this like incredibly, incredibly addictive, like consumer-based application. But then they're also doing all these other things. Like as Ben said, like limiting how often children will play video games in a week or watch entertainment. Like there's a dichotomy there that I find quite interesting. The rules are like even strict. It's like
2: no video games during the week and one hour a day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is, wow, that's serious. I guess one other thing that's funny to me, Ciara, I don't know if you do this but like I don't have the TikTok app. I'm not sure why I don't, but I just don't, but I like I voraciously consume it second tier through Instagram Reels mm. and YouTube <laughs> Shorts. Like I see lots of TikToks, they're just recycled onto another platform. At the same time that China imposed these rules on video games, they also made it more difficult for teens to follow and adore celebrities aka k pop type stars. So they understand <laughs> what the kids I are think about.
1: that was an incredibly smart move personally. Oh yeah.
2: Wow. Interesting. You're with the censors on this one. I, I, I am. I
1: am. I think when I say that like I've seen people be really horrible, I'm talking about on the K pop side of the internet. Right, right. Like people are so quick to like wish literal death on people over like K pop and it's because of the way that the k-pop artists and their music is like marketed it makes you feel like very attached to the people who create the music and so these people like go to bat for them like if you say anything wrong about them they're like ready to literally kill you which is so insane if you think about it but I think limiting people's access to that especially when they're young is a smart idea to be quite honest
0: I don't want to mention the metaverse in every single podcast episode but the amount of, <laughs> the amount of people and the amount of attachment I think people are getting to things that exist kind of like not purely within the online realm but exist within the online realm I think says something to kind of like where the internet might shift to later on down the track of people are getting so attached to conversations and communities and everything else that's happening online then I don't know where this is, where this is going to go in the future and how we're going to support that when certain worldviews are being reinforced or certain communities are growing online, because it's not all bad either. There's a lot of good stuff happening on the internet, but we don't know the ramifications and some of the maybe ill side effects that might happen as a result of all of this extra communication that's going on in the world.
1: Yeah. I wonder how healthy that is for people, especially if you're like, younger and you're still developing your social skills and stuff like that. That's why I feel like limiting that kind of exposure may be better, especially if you're a younger audience. But yeah.
2: Yeah. My children are still in grade school. And during the pandemic, when school was remote, I let them do a lot of like Roblox where they'd be playing with friends, which I wanted them to have that social connection. And they'd be like in Roblox and on a FaceTime call. But then also Roblox is unique in that Roblox is sort of like you open it up and there's a million different games in there that are just built by ordinary users and some of them are age appropriate and some some of them,
0: (laughs) as I learned, are completely not. And so you really have to keep a close eye on what kids are doing there. That's, I think, the other terrifying thing about the access that children especially now have to the internet. There's a lot of stuff out there that is not appropriate for people under the age of 18, let alone 13. I think that's going to be a huge challenge moving forward for parents especially as to how to introduce your children to this world where there's kind of like, there's just everything and everything for you to see, you know, they're gonna be exposed to a whole bunch of different stuff that we weren't as children. We didn't have access to all of this information. So it's, I think it's gonna be quite interesting and challenging for parents to kind of communicate everything that they need to at such a young age.
2: All right, let's move on to our next news hit. Just wanna touch on this real quick. We don't have to spend a lot of time. I continue to see this obviously, you know, within the workplace generally the folks that I knew at other companies the folks that i know through LinkedIn and stuff like that the great resignation has not stopped it continues people are demanding better wages better benefits they're leaving you know places and feeling like confident that they can leave and go out and find something you know when they need to just for the two of you guess what's the view look like from where you're sitting and in what ways do you think it has it it has both benefits to the labor to the employees obviously and then it has drawbacks you know for a company that wants to grow that maybe has has an opportunity as a startup of 50 people and has a big opportunity in front of it and could capitalize and has raised money, but literally can't hire people to finish their roadmap, You know that's a frustrating situation to be stuck in. So curious what you're seeing and how you see the pros and cons here.
1: Yeah, I think I'm still seeing a huge migration of people moving on to different opportunities.
0: Yeah, and I'm even
1: noticing that it's like people are moving on even from some of the, the big name tech companies that everyone kind of aims for I've also I think we discussed this before again in a you know previous podcast episode but I think a lot of people are reassessing like what's really important to them which is honestly putting more power in the hands of the workers which I'm typically in this in support of I do think it can be frustrating like I know at the company I work for now like recruiting is just as as important as it always has been but it's much harder now to find people who are like, willing and available and who want to work with us. It's like, and I'm I know recruiters everywhere are going through this. So I know it's hard on both, especially for like on the company side of things, but generally I think it's a good thing.
0: I th- just speaking from a New Zealand more like locals perspective, there have definitely been there's been a huge shift, I think, over the last couple of years where New Zealand salaries have been quite low for quite a significant amount of time. And now people are advertising roles twenty to thirty thousand dollars, which is maybe 20,000 US more than what they were advertised for a couple of years ago. So there's been a huge increase in in salaries which has been fantastic to see. But there's also been a hell of a lot of turnover. I've got friends at companies who whole engineering teams have been cycled through twice over the last 2 years. People will come, they'll stay for a year. I can imagine how frustrating that would be from a product perspective and I don't think it's uncharacteristic either. Like what do you guys think an average tenure of a Google employee is? Do you have any idea? I'm going to say 6 months.
1: I'll say 10 months.
0: Wow. Okay, you guys really just poo-pooed on, on my reveal there. <laughs> 1.1 1. 1 years for a Google employee, which is is historically, like a lot of those fan companies, those are where you want to be. So for for people who reach that kind of, the, the pinnacle of, of what software development is, 1.1 1. 1 years is not a long time. No, it's really not. Actually, that's kind of an interesting thing we could discuss just for a second.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, have you ever had that experience? I had that experience. I worked at DJI for one years, like almost exactly a year and a quarter, a year and three months. And I feel like I learned a ton and I made some good connections and like, it was worth it. Like it allowed me to make like a pivot in my career before then, or even now I would normally say like one year or a little over at a place is like, it's not worth it. Like so much effort to leave one job and the stress of deciding and missing your friends and thinking, was this worth it? Was it not? And regret. And then all of a sudden you leave again. It's like, Oh my God. But now, you know, with three years of hindsight, it's kind of like, I learned a lot there. You know, I got to make like a career transition and now it's just sort of, a, it's in the rear view mirror. I don't know. Have you, have either of you ever done like a short stint somewhere and felt like it was worth it or not worth yeah. it?
1: I can speak to this because it's very interesting. I have never, thus far in tech, I have never been at any company for a year or more. <laughs> so,
2: a serial employee. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a few reasons why. I'm not a bad worker. I get along very well with other people. It's not that. Number one, most of the work that I've done thus far has been on a contract basis and contracts usually last for like three months anyway. But other than that, I'll say um, something that's probably also like a pretty major generational difference, I would say, between like myself and my parents is that I've noticed that a lot of people, like millennials to now, don't really put up with like bad circumstances at a job. So when things get like there into the toxic territory, it's kind of like, okay, it's time for me to move on instead of going through like the the mental stress of like dealing with this. And then also combine that with working in tech where our skills are in demand and it's generally easy. I won't say like it's easy for everyone, but there's so many jobs out there. So there's like a level, a higher level of security than I think is normal with other industries. So I think with that combination, a lot of people are more inclined to like move on. If it's like, this is getting stressful, I could be making more money somewhere else.
2: Matt, I want to get your thoughts. But yeah, just to say like, as a generational thing, you know, you mentioned that generation, I graduated into the great financial crisis of 2008, or I left grad school then. And so there were no jobs. And I like lost the internship I had. And then I didn't couldn't find a job for two years. And so after that, if I took a job, I was like gonna stay, even if it was brutal. Like I wasn't, you know, I needed to be employed. That was like it felt like there was a two-year gap where it was like I couldn't find a job that's gonna look terrible on my resume. It's like couldn't get my career going. So in that situation, and maybe I still carry it with me. I would like never, I would just, you know, I'd grit
0: my teeth and bear it. It seems that there's been a shift, I think, over the last couple of years as well, where when you're interviewing or when companies are kind of conveying what they value in, in, in an employee, there's a lot more room, I think, for people to come and say, my last workplace was not serving me, I was not growing, there was a toxic environment, or the environment was not something that was conducive to like my learning or well-being. People are much more accepting of people being like, I gave it a go for six months, it wasn't for me, it wasn't enabling me to be the best person that I could be, so I'm moving on. And I think it's good to see that, companies are more accepting of of those kind of facts. I think staying at a year for a company is totally fine because you you can still get a lot from that. And if you reach a point where you're like, I've hit a growth cap, this is not career advice, but I think like (laughs) you should always trying to be learning and, and growing within a career. And if that's not happening, that's something that you should be discussing with your manager or your seniors or trying to find opportunities there to continue that, that growth path. Because I know for me personally, if I if I stop learning, if I if I don't feel like I'm being challenged, I get bored. And then when I get bored, I get quite miserable. So yeah, you know, I think you can you can definitely look at something, especially long term. If you're looking to make a career shift or a pivot or anything else like that, sometimes those year-long, year-long stints where they might be slightly more intense than you're used to, or it's kind of like moving to a new skill because you want to go from stepping stone B to C, that's I think that's totally fine to do.
1: Yeah. I, I'll say on the flip side too sometimes you're in a place that forces you to grow a little bit too quickly Mm. than what you're ready for. Especially this can happen in the startup world where you may be like on the more junior side of things or maybe even not so much, but you get a ton of responsibility dropped on you. Sometimes that could be something that's detrimental to your growth career wise, honestly. So so, sometimes even in those situations, like you could, you could be somewhere where you feel like you're not growing enough, you're not learning enough, or you could be somewhere where you feel like you're being forced to ramp up too quickly on things that you just, that are just, you're not ready for, which is okay. But either way, like sometimes you just find out that the team you're on is like not right for you. The company is just not right for you, which is okay. Cause there's so many options out there.
2: All right. We're going to do one last news hit, and then we will move on to the topic of the day. I just thought this was really interesting Uber in two cities, two of its biggest cities, New York and San Francisco, is now integrating with the regular old taxis. So you open the Uber and you're just gonna be able to hail, you know, what in New York we call a yellow cab. Different places, you know, they sort of have that. And those two industries were kind of, you know, at each other's throats for a long time. Said a lot of bad things about each other. Competed. Had their own things. It was interesting to see that network finally pulling together. And I'm I'm kind of glad because obviously Uber has the best software, can afford to hire tons of great engineers and mobile engineers. You know the taxi industry. I don't really know how coherent you know their plan is, but I would like everybody to benefit from that. I guess flip side, you know Uber also has its struggles with labor, so we'll see. But thought that was an interesting little note.
1: I don't know how to feel about that actually. I won't share my opinion, but initially it sounds cool, but I'm not a hundred percent sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just want a car to come. So if it's a taxi or not a taxi, whatever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It'll be interesting to see because Airbnb have done something kind of similar where, well, they face some of the same issues that Uber had where you had a a workforce or you had a a lot of kind of like flow and effects as a result of that specific service. With Airbnb, it was pushing rents up and, and all sorts of things. And they have integrated with the hotel somewhat, but not to the extent I think Uber has with this. So I'm kind of wondering how, how this is all going to pan out longer term. Right. Eventually
2: it's just like, we're just going to do the eBay marketplace. like, you could go on Airbnb and stay at a Marriott. And it's like, why am I on here? But you know, it's like, (laughs) I need to stay in this location or whatever. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the topic for the day, whichever one of you uh, threw in this first one, do you want to kick it off?
0: So for anybody who's ever worked in a restaurant, they're well familiar with the receipt printer that prints out dockets and all sorts of stuff and then it becomes grease stained and it's all over the place and then somebody says where's my order and then a slip has slipped down between some kind of fryer and it's an absolute nightmare well what this engineer has done has taken that absolute nightmare and uh replicated that for github issues so andrew the creator has basically created a physical printer that every time a a new issue is created on github it prints out a little docket for him. So he he can be sitting at home, running his own business, An issue comes up, it's print, and he can put that on his physical Trello board, which will be quite cool. So shout out to Andrew for creating that. I think it's quite a neat little project.
2: Yeah, help keep you in your flow state, you know, paper tickets, put them here. Yeah, Don't, uh, don't multitask, not too many windows open. All right, kick me off to the next.
0: The other cool thing that we found this week was basically an automated computer science course framework, which I think is quite interesting. It's nicknamed Anubis. Ben, do you have anything to add to this one?
2: Well, I guess for me, you know, I've gone through a bunch of different computer science programs. I did Free Code Camp. I did Twilio Quest. I did a bunch of like of Academy. And so I, I kind of like the idea of one that responds to you. Like if you're going through Free Code Camp, you know, it's very boilerplate, like you can jump from one to the next and stuff, but like you're going in sequence. It would be interesting to see one where if it sees you're successful in a certain direction to kind of throws you more lessons in that direction. Or like, if it sees, you know, like you're struggling with something, like it circles back to that concept, you know, drops that concept for now and and circles back to it later, or like shows you that concept with like a different approach to the, you know, pedagogical instruction. Like maybe they'll get it this way, not that way. Cause like, there are definitely places where, you know, I I have the sort of high of like conquering things and there are places where it's like, man, you know, like this is just not programming. is just not for me. So I, I was, I was kind of interested in that, that sort of element of it that if, you know, I don't know if that's actually how it works, but that it tries to automate a CS course for you. I mean, do you know how it works? Can you explain a little
0: bit of it? Yeah. So basically it does a whole bunch of different things. One of the things I specifically liked about it is that it kind of comes, it has auto grading functionality. So say for example, if you're submitting an assignment, it will, instead of you finding out your mark at the end and being like, Oh no, I, I failed. You can submit assignment and then you can see exactly what your grade is going to be prior to that. So Depending on how much work you want to put in beforehand, you know, if you reach the eighty percent threshold, you are like, yes, pass. Well, go, go. Make yes, it. I want to know if I am
2: going to fail the test before I decide <laughs> if I want to submit it. Uh, everything in life should be that way. Yeah, yeah.
1: I like the idea though of like a a CS course that adapts as you go through it. I think that is so cool. I think one of the biggest differences between doing like an in person boot camp or doing even like a CS major, like a CS degree, is that the biggest difference between doing that and then doing like the self-taught route where you like take a online course or something like that is that it's not very customizable. And even still, like if you do a bootcamp or if you go to university, it still is to a certain degree, very like cookie cutter. Everyone takes like the same curriculum, whatever. But I would imagine that this could be very useful for a lot of people because being able to have a course that like knows what you need to work on more or knows the things that you're really good at and don't need as much work with, I think that could be really, really cool. I wonder if this course is like that, I, I wonder how that's going to pan out for their students or their users.
0: So Sorry, I should have given you some context before I launched and, and threw it to Ben. Um, so <laughs> Anubis is a distributed learning management system. It's created by John Cunniff, and it's been used as part of NYU Tandon for several semesters now. And the main purpose of that is to automate specific things within like a, a learning environment. So say, for example, auto grading, which is something we mentioned, it comes with a built-in cloud IDE. One of the things that I find most frustrating with learning new things is setting up your own like virtual environment. And that's if you can like take a lot of the the grunt work and environment and environment setup and things that people get stuck on, I think that means you focus more on the actual learning and the programming and you're playing around and tinkering. And that's one of the things that Anubis solves with with the cloud ID, IDE. It gives you, I think, a visual code based IDE that's based in the cloud and a Linux environment, and it's all it's all up and running, ready for you to go. And as well as that, it creates some insights and that kind of stuff. So this isn't quite kind of like Structured, kind of like it's going to tailor to your learning and, and what you want to do. But I'd love that idea, and I would love to see that implemented in the future.
1: Yeah, they feel like a lot of work though to create. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I guess
2: as you're moving from one language to another or trying to get to a new framework, that's so, yeah, that is sort of like that level one challenge, Matt, where there's a lot of friction. You know, like you open something Sheesh. up, you just want to do it, and all of a sudden it's like. All right, you need to figure out where you're going to hold, you know, hold your stuff locally, and make sure you have GitHub running, and also get your IDE up. And you know, by that point, you're, you've sort of like run into so much friction, you're not sure you want to proceed. But yeah, I, I like this. For me, that was one of the benefits of yeah, things like Twilio Quest, where they like kind of automated some yes. of that stuff, and also there was a tutorial that walked you through like how to make sure everything was connected.
1: The interesting thing is too that like even professional developers are like kind of sick and tired. Of like the setup side of things there's so many new tools where the expectation is that i can get up and running and not have to go through a whole lot of setup so it's not just something that learners are interested in it's something that everybody who codes wants at this point
0: you might be able to help me out with this because this exact same thing happened to me last week i'm working on a side project at the moment with python for stack overflow And it was doing my absolute head in, like I've been a JavaScript developer for the last four years now, and then transitioning to Python again and trying to learn like Anaconda package managers, getting everything installed. And I was getting syntax errors on like using pip to install things. And I just, I wanted to tear my hair out. It was so, so frustrating. So if I could just have kind of like a virtual environment where everything's installed, ready to go, and I can actually just start building things, that would be so, so useful.
1: I genuinely think that's the biggest reason why like Python is not as popular as JavaScript is because if you're not like using like Codecademy or something like that to learn it the the amount of setup you have to do with the different version control like versions of different packages and things like that and then uh virtual environments and all that kind of stuff yeah. I think that is barrier to entry for learners to be honest
0: i thought i could just run a script no i needed to download all these different things and like oh my god it was an absolute (laughs) i've got a meeting straight after this podcast to set up my virtual environment with (laughs) python like it's it's an issue it's a real issue All right, everybody. I
2: don't know if this is international. So my apologies. But if you live in the United States, I want to shout out the Libby app, which is for libraries. You can just sign up with the same like little, you know, code that's on your library card. And then it works just like books does on Apple or, you know, the Kindle does. You can download anything. You can download audiobooks, And the best part is you can put it on hold. So you just like check a bunch of stuff that you want to read or listen to at some point, And then magically, boom, it just appears when it's ready. And yeah, it's been saving me a lot of money that I used to spend. Um, getting the digital version of these books and audiobooks. So shout out to the Libby app. I'll throw it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I I love the library apps too. I use one that's called, it's called Overdrive. That's what it's called. Oh yeah,
2: Overdrive is a really good one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My shout out today is going to be a blog. It's called Lead Dev. And it's basically a blog that features content from like developers all over the world who work in tech. And it has articles that typically center around like career stuff. So like how to onboard your team members, how to like scale up and hire and all that kind of stuff. I found the articles on there to be super, super helpful for like some of the more unspoken things that happen career-wise in tech. Like you learn how to code and all that kind of stuff, obviously, but like who teaches you how to run a meeting effectively? Mm. Who teaches you how to onboard people? I found this blog to be really good for that kind of stuff.
0: My recommendation is actually something Ben has mentioned earlier on today, and that's Quest. It's Mm, the most ridiculous, like, I don't know who got approval to make this specific thing, but it is incredibly great. It's basically a video game that teaches you (laughs) how to use Twilio. It comes with its own original soundtrack, which you can listen to on SoundCloud. (laughs) It's got a whole bunch of other kind of like gaming related things. Um, They go through JavaScript programming language, Python, open source, REST APIs. uh, And they've also got uh, something there for their Twilio specific training too. I have been sponsored by Twilio in the past. So I just want to make that quite clear. <laughs> but this is probably the coolest thing I've, I've seen when it comes to like teaching people how to code on the internet. It's incredibly well done.
2: It's got a great, great, like sort of old school eight bit, you know, kind of vibe to it with the music and the side scrolling. And yeah, it's, it's a fun game on its own, but you're, you're learning while you're doing it. All right, everybody, let me shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge. And then we will say goodbye. A Lifeboat badge is given to somebody who came on Stack Overflow, found a question with a score of negative three or less, and gave an answer. Now that answer has a score of 20 more, and the question has a score of three or more. So some knowledge has been saved from the dustbin of history, awarded March 25th to Alkber in Java. How do you convert seconds to minutes to hours and days? Time is always a challenging thing for developers. This I know. I am Ben Popper. I am the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions and suggestions for the show, podcast is Stack Overflow. And if you like us and you like listening, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps.
1: My name is Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Apollo GraphQL. If you're interested in seeing me more online, I spend most of my time on Twitter. You can follow me there. My username is Ciorio. That's c-e-e-o-r-e-o underscore
0: and i'm matt keenander i'm a technical advocate here at stack overflow if you want to find me online i'm on twitter at matt Kander. and uh, if you want to find me on youtube i'm also matt Kander there too
2: all right everybody thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon
1: bye